Hello and welcome to the Easy Allies podcast. I'm your moderator, Brandon Jones. Joining me this week, the same people that are joining me on this week's podcast that will be up later this week, Michael Damiani. Yo. Brad Ellis. Yo. And Daniel Budworth. Yo. This is a special love and respect episode. For those of you tuning in on a Friday, you're like, wait a minute. This is a different intro. This is a different day. What's going on? This is a special bonus on behalf of our patron party this week. For the next hour or so, we will be going through a series of love and respect questions. It's our $5 tier on Patreon. Thank you so much for everybody at that tier asking these questions. This will be public even though the uh, podcast will still be going up on Sunday public for everyone this week. But again, for just 5 bucks, you can get that and other things early. You can get the podcast on Fridays. But because we got no corrections, we got no sponsors, we got nothing. We can roll directly into all the love and respect questions. Kicking it off, Kartik T, howdy allies. The other week, Bloodworth mentioned that people who come up with the box art are underappreciated in the gaming industry. And that got me thinking, does the back of a game box matter anymore? Sure, it makes for fun bets to see how many cows are on the back of a box or something, but it feels like a relic of the pre-internet past. I remember the good old days of walking into a blockbuster or a game shop and having to go through different game boxes to see what looked cool or what descriptions caught my attention. But these days, that stuff can be found in seconds on the internet with tons of trailers, reviews, gameplay that'll give you exactly what you're looking for. If I'm buying a physical copy of a game, I already know what my game has to offer and don't need the back of the box to basically be an ad for a game I'm getting. So my question is, what do y'all think would be a better alternative to what we have now? Is it even worth having an alternative if the industry is moving towards digital? Back of the box. I love back of the box, man. I still think it has value. Especially a lot of people who aren't as like in sync with the game industry. Your mm -hmm. moms, your dads, you maybe don't know. Grandparents are like just people who don't pay attention as much as a game. Like, I think it's really good, especially for older games, too. Like, maybe I'll find a game and I don't know what the hell it is. I've never seen it before. And I look at the back of the box. I'm like, oh, this is sick. I'm going to pick this up. It's happened numerous times. Yeah, I think particularly something like uh, how many players a game supports is pretty important on the back of a box. Yes. You know, you like you look at this and like, oh, yeah, this looks like a fun multiplayer game. You turn it around. It's like, oh, one player only. Okay. Probably not this one, you know. So yeah, I think that's it's definitely uh, it's it's definitely that informational part of it is important and and yeah you want you want at least some screenshots right mm -hmm. you want you want to see some uh, sense of what that game's gonna be sorry I'm getting distracted by people racing cars outside woo. <laughs> 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 yeah, like that was, it might be Huber. That was like the oh. a, a, original thumbnail, you know, science of just like what screenshots from our game would look good if you shrink them down to a, a level that they should not originally, you know, be viewed at. Yeah. How, how yeah. close is box art to your heart, Damiani? I, I, I really like the old school box arts. Um, thinking back to like, for me, it was NES and Super Nintendo. Even if you didn't, it was, it was just something nice. Even going into a store and you had no intention of buying a game it was just really cool to go like look at all the boxes flip them over the back and it wasn't it was not always just the screenshots there would be like some cool character art or something on there and also i while i know it now it's like more marketing speak that at the time it felt almost like it was part of the experience and like the start of like kicking off the narrative for some of these games like especially more like a little bit more rpg action adventure style games there'd be a little bit of like a synopsis but they kind of like dress it up to make it sound, you know, way more <laughs> enticing. And that definitely felt, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. I think now maybe that part of it isn't necessarily, so for, for newer stuff, I don't think it's as essential to have like 
that type of stuff on the box. I think I'm more with like blood that that having the correct information on the box. And if you need to use the back, it's, it's important. Like a more dry description of like, this is like, you know, it's a multiplayer game and like, you have some screenshots show what it looks like so you can tell like okay i know like just to inform the consumer what they're getting into how many gigabytes is this for my (laughs) yeah but at the same time i wonder how many terabyte hard drive it yeah it definitely needs to satisfy that at the very least but also makes me think about how many young people might just pick up a box and they've never played a game before and like if they if it was more in the style like what i remember from my youth and it's like something that's way more captivating gets your imagination running wild and you're just you're hooked you say to yourself yo i want to try this out this is pretty cool look look at this with this hand-drawn art you know look just like mm-hmm. it's like a uh a, a namora illustration on the back of a, of a king mm-hmm. of the new king of hearts game and you're like what is this why is there why are the kingdom hearts characters like why are the disney characters and who are these other characters oh man but you know, if you just have a description on the back and it says single player adventure and it's just like square and it says like the all the size stuff, that could get boring. I don't know. I think it still has a place. I, I think it still yeah. has a place. It has it has some appeal still. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I, I had some guesses, but uh, another thing that I know there's some people that really appreciate and show off is uh, disc art as well. Mm-hmm. You know. Some Absolutely. Yeah, I get you know, sad. So, some limited DVDs, medium. It's just just the circle around the middle, and I'm like, what? Man. I can't even. What? Can't this even makes me lament the the instruction manual, the death of that. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's much, certainly dead and buried. I, yeah, I, I know that's not part of this discussion. That's never coming back. But man, some of those old school instruction manuals are so mm-hmm. integral to my experience mm-hmm. with early games, and now it's just does not exist. It's I, so you can't get that back. I love back of the box art for two main reasons. One. A lot of games are either like way before their time or way after their time. A lot of old stuff that you can check out in like Atari 2600 or maybe like some TurboGrafx-16 game that you missed. If I was to show you, it might be kind of tricky for you to guess what year that came out. Whereas box art just dates a game so hardcore. You know, there's some Mm. box art that you just can't shake. You know, shout out to, you know, Ben from MinMax who loves to do, you know, box art, the, the quotes and just kind of guessing like what what these are referencing, which brings me to the other reason why I love it. Same reason I love trailers is just that like the desperate elevator pitch vibe of just like, how do we encapsulate the entire game? Not only in an image for the front of the box, but just like what paragraphs do we pick? How do we write that? I often wonder, uh, uh, I think Jeff Keighley started writing some of that stuff. I think that was uh, one of his Mm. original jobs. Um, So it's just fun to see like the back of the box being like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. that's the vibe you were going for, you know? Um, I wonder what, what games have been released in the past where developers are like, no, or there's some hey. box art that they just didn't approve, had no clearance Okami. over whatsoever. The... Oh, had yeah. that IGN watermark on that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe, you know, will they ever do something again like Metal Gear Solid, the back of the box? Oh, sure. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. That cle- like clever Good stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. We're talking. Is that the Q and A? What were we talking about with that? Where like you could like you had to dissolve something in water. Yeah. Oh, that's Star Tropics. Yeah, yeah. Star Tropics. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Bringing Star Tropics up again. Merrill's Codec. From Patton Werner, 
Is there such a thing as next-gen for PC? Greetings, allies. In the past few years, I've been primarily gaming on my PC and enjoying it so much that I don't feel the need to upgrade to the next console generation. This is a strange feeling for me since I have owned nearly every console since the NES. This also poses a strange question. Is the PC always next-gen? I've seen a lot of coverage by yourselves and others regarding how Sony and Microsoft are handling the next-gen graphics of current titles, and I was curious to know how this works on PC. For example, will the PC version of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War look and feel the same as the PS5 or Xbox Series X version? PC never gets mentioned in these discussions, so I figured it was the case, but I thought that I asked the experts. All right. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Love and respect. Patton. A very general graphics-based next-gen question, but... A, it is the bonus Love and Respect episode. It'd be kind of fun to take the time, you know, to go through it. And I think we have talked about this, obviously, because we've talked about performance. But I do feel we kind of beat around the bush in terms of, I know Ian loves to talk about the value of just Xbox versus a PC if you already own one. So Um, kind of my take on this is the consoles are sort of the floor on a lot of things. You know, because particularly with, you know, everything being cross-platform for the most part, you know, there's definitely some things like a flight simulator that's traditionally been PC, but that's that's coming to consoles eventually too now. Uh, so I think wherever that baseline of the consoles is, you can expect the PC to dress that up. But as of right now, there aren't really developers that are pushing for the highest spec PC builds because that's a very small consumer base and you know most people that have PCs can't run things at that level so they're going to go for the console as their 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 kind of their baseline that's what people can expect out of a game and then the PC okay you can lower the settings if you need to or you can raise the settings to take advantage of better lighting and better shading and and higher frame rates and all of that so essentially yeah the pc is going to get those next gen benefits in the next year or two alongside as the consoles because once those things become standardized you know like the high speed ssds you know like you can get those on the pc but are there games taking advantage of them not too many not that much once that starts to be expected on a console then PC games are going to really have to, you know, adopt that kind of stuff as well. And at some point, they're going to have to say, like, you need one of these to run our game. So, Damiani, as, as somebody who technology-wise enjoys the best of all things, uh, is this generally a good thing that consoles are always kind of nipping at the heels of PC? That's essentially PC is raising the bar and, and, and consoles have to, to catch up. Is that why we get to have nice things like the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X? Microsoft, a company that invests in PC you know, almost as much as they invest in consoles? Well, I mean, I mean, yes, the, the simple answer is yes. Uh, but at the same time, it's not necessarily consoles that are driving PC to push further. It's the fact that I think that the, the consoles and PC architecture have become so similar um, as, as developers, as these hardware manufacturers have decided to forego more proprietary routes with their, their technology and start to adopt components that are more widely used in standard PC builds. And thus you now have where we're coming, where the PS5 and the the Xbox Series X and S are using uh, AMD's DNA2 GPUs, which we're gonna actually find out about uh, very soon here. Uh, they're having an event, AMD's having an event for that, and those will become available, like different 
versions of those those GPUs will become available at some point in the near future for PC owners. So I do think con where console now pushes a little bit harder is that console has a larger market share, and I think it drives it, it kind of drives where PC needs to aim for. So when these systems are being made and they're they're negotiating with the especially the, the GPU manufacturers here with AMD, and they're telling them what they want, it, I think that helps. Obviously, they're making a they're getting millions of orders for that because they're going to sell millions and millions of consoles. Mm -hmm. And you look at GPU stuff; they don't sell millions and millions of GPUs like at the high like at the same end that you're getting in a console. I mean, just look at the 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 uh, Nvidia's uh, three thousand series has been kind of a disaster because they came in they met like met like seven percent of demand, and that's because they're like oh it's P various difficulties. Whereas while the pre-orders for PS5 and Xbox Series X have been like very you know hard to get, they're probably gonna be way higher volume of those available than that. So in that regard, yes, I think there has been some get there is some sharing of that ecosystem about one influences the other. I just feel that PC, when you're talking about PC for a long time now, it's been more synonymous. I feel with uh with like the the mobile phone market, especially the smartphone market. Where it's usually about like a two, three year refresh rate. I mean, some smartphones are like on a yearly refresh rate, but we're pretty much getting new GPUs like every two years. And there's like, there's integrated, there's like half steps in between sometimes in the years in between. So maybe with PCs, it's more about you have to constantly keep on your end to keep up with the, to make it next gen. You have to like stay on top of that. Whereas with a console, it is. It's just put together. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a low-end pre-built essentially for you if you want to put it that way, and you don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff. It's a it usually is sometimes a closed ecosystem, and it's something that you expect to always work and not have to deal with a lot of the, the issues you run into with a PC. But again, what Blood said, if you want the potential, the most potential for in, in general, you will go with a PC. But that's not always the case anymore because sometimes games are optimized more for a console version than and we'll see a PC port be disastrous yeah. because the publisher didn't put a lot of effort. In theory, it should be the best version, but sometimes it doesn't always end up being that way. Apropos of nothing, you know, it was a fun current gen game that I'm now playing on PC because it was five bucks on Steam. And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Mad Max, <laughs> a game that has just super bare bones character models, but like the smoke, like in the, especially in the distance, the way that horizon kind of plays out. And again, it's like it's all brown. And so it's like they really have to have very strong, you know, bold, different variations of color and shading and stuff. And I was like, ooh, that smoke hmm. in the background is pretty. Max is not, but that smoke in the background <laughs> is pretty. And you know, it's something that also might be slightly off topic, but I, it just occurred to me, especially now as we're going into like next gen, and this has nothing to do with performance, but like marketing wise, you know, you have a game like League of Legends, you have stuff like MMOs that are just doing incredible, even WoW, which is like, you right. know, Brad, you're so frustrated with, with WoW in general, but like that, it's going to be big, like that, you know, I, mm -hmm. I imagine a lot of people will be playing that. Um aren't advertised nearly as much. Something like a Baldur's Gate 3 is not advertised like, you know, a fraction of how much something like Miles Morales or, you know, whereas if you talk about depth and maybe some, you know, just the, you know, like you're talking about here, the difference in look and feel versus PS5, Xbox Series X versus PC. Um, it's just something that I guess PCs like, we have our audience, it's, we don't need to... Mm -hmm. um, I think WoW gets plenty of ads. But it much. does. Yeah, WoW is the exception. The, I mean, Blizzard's, the, few. Blizzard's <laughs> the exception for sure, but... Um, 
just interesting in terms of like yeah. where you know where my attention is going to try to be pulled you know at the end of this quarter it's like it is really it is curious PC that they've exclusives. never they've never taken the step of hey let's sell a console version of wow with a mouse yeah. and keyboard you know no not at all like that's just hearthstone and ios is such a big deal <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah i mean they put starcraft on n64 it's like so <laughs> weird it's put like Warcraft one or something on PS one too. From Mikey Mizek Novak, a game deluxe edition doozy. I have been getting confused with game prices and SKUs recently. There are varying prices for current and next gen games, and it's not always obvious if you're paying for a higher priced standard edition or some special deluxe, as the naming scheme is far from consistent. Below are some non standard deluxe edition names, and you must guess what the game is it is from, from a few choices. Bonus yes. points if you can guess without multiple choice. Love and respect to Isaac. So, for example, the first one is Unsanctioned Edition. Does anyone know just right off the top? Sanctioned, what that game would be, mm. and we have three options that you can pick between those. So oh, we do no, have options. Nobody's biting. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm curious to see if anybody can guess. You get the most of the options, but our three options are Call of Duty Black Ops Two, Splinter Cell Blacklist, or Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines Two. Is it Splinter Cell? Unsanctioned Edition. Vampire. I'm going with Splinter Cell. I'll go with Splinter Cell. Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines Two. What made Ooh. you think that, Brad? I don't know. Unsanctioned. I mean, unsanctioned, it doesn't... I mean, that sounds to me... Yeah, that sounds like a, a government operation. That, yeah, that's a good, he, he got you. Yeah. Super... The Super Dangerous Wad Wad Edition. Wad Wad? It's very specific, but I don't know I what no it idea. is. I have no idea. Is it Borderlands 2 specific? Saints Row 4 specific? Or No More Heroes 2 specific? No More Heroes 2. Sure. Uh, Saints Row? Right. Sorry, uh, Damiani? I go with No More Heroes as well. Uh, no. Saints Row 4? Again, Brad. Yeah. Crushing it, dude. Um, Lucky guesses all around. <laughs> the the post-pandemic edition. Wouldn't we, oh love for the, wouldn't we love the post-pandemic edition of anything right now? <laughs> this one's pretty on the nose. Oh, this is this Division, is not, isn't it? This is not an obscure franchise. This is pretty... I mean, the, the choices are all pretty on the nose as well. The Division, right? No. No. That would be that's a good guess. Uh, it is either The Last of Us, Dying Light, or State of Decay. Oh wow! State of Decay, Dying Light. Yeah, I, I can't pick out of those three. They're all perfect. I don't know. Uh, Last of Us is a little more perfect though for the win. No. Dying Light, <laughs> State of Decay are kind of your standard zombie apocalypse. Where Last of Us is definitely mm. more pandemic focused. I think. Love is over edition. Oh, that's Catherine. Yeah, nice. that must be recent, right? Was that that was the remaster, or was that just like an, a special? Or, or that, I don't know which or, version's or, for, but that's the name of, of the special edition. And "Love Is Over" is a phrase from that. And game. it was not "Leisure Suit Larry 6, which is a great call. And we're Bayonetta. High stakes edition. High stakes. High stakes. Neighbor Speed Payback. Wait, good, oh, good guesses nice. on all of these, but none good of these. Michael Huber. It is now. It is either Dead Rising Two, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball Two, or Fallout New Vegas. Fallout New Vegas. Fallout. Yeah. He got you. Dead Rising Two. Shit. Uh, Which was Vegas, right? Because he was a stuntman. Yeah. We did a full Uh, playthrough of that, and I don't know what version we bought. Until the name Huber and I. uh, Wish you were here. Edition. Wish you were here. Far Cry Three, Silent Hill Three, or Dead Island Two. Silent Hill 3 and Dead Island 2 being the joke, I guess, there. 
that was called that. I'll go with Dead Island 2. Yeah, same. Ha, you're wrong. Far Cry 3. Shit. Wish you were here. And finally, Far Balls... Cry so weird. Balls of Steel Edition. Duke Nukem, right? <laughs> yeah, Forever? dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Who else would do that? Yeah. <laughs> Saints Row, I don't know. Some of those yeah, movies we see on this list, possibly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. From Drew Vagarg, uh, I'm going to read the original post. Uh, and then we get a follow-up to this. So this was from... Okay. Uh, here's the text from my original question two and a half years ago. Hello, allies. Last two week, and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice pull. <laughs> uh, la- Hello, allies. Last week, you and many others awarded either a perfect or near-perfect score to the upcoming God of War game. This surprised a large part of the gaming community and per- really impersonally sealed the deal for my pre-order. This response has occurred several times in the past with Sony-exclusive story-driven titles of both old and new IP alike, such as Uncharted, The Last of Us, and Horizon Zero Dawn. My question to you, allies, has two parts. Both of these questions are two parts, by the way. Druvgard can't get enough. Uh, do you think that Sony should continue down this path at the risk of fatiguing the audience, or do you think that's a non-issue? And what do you think Microsoft needs to do to garner a similar scale of reputation? Should they focus on story to directly compete or find their own niche? Again, thank you for all the hard work you guys do. Love, respect, Druv, Risen, Garg. Well, do you mean focus like on what? Third-person narrative-driven action stuff? I, I think more the exclusives, just kind of like the string of, of, of huge specific, uh, you so, know. Wait, um, a question from two years Sony exclusive story-driven titles. Yeah, story-driven being the genre focus. Yes, they work. They sell. Right. That's yeah, why they, they definitely work. But you recall that conversation. There's a big single-player, single-player games, we like them. You know, yeah. Spider-Man came and did so well and uh, all these things kept reaffirming that. Well, Druv is back. Um, I first wrote you about how the critical reception to God of War 2018 secured my pre-order. Then I asked questions about Sony-style narrative exclusives, their possible fatigue in the community, and what Microsoft needed to do to garner a similar scale of reputation. The gaming industry really is different now, huh? First of all, how does it feel to be featured so prominently in the Raising Kratos documentary for God of War? Secondly, see two parts, can't get enough. Do you feel that Sony fatigue is finally hit with the divisive nature of Death Stranding and The Last of Us Part Two? Do you think Microsoft, with the recent studio acquisitions, is well on its path to garnering a similar scale of reputation as I once originally put? Thanks for everything, allies. Love and respect, Drew Frisgard. Uh, huh. Well, I, I don't think so. I think everything just narrative he choices. Like, Death Stranding is just a weird-ass game that's very unconventional. Like, that's mm-hmm. a weird game. Mm-hmm. And a lot of The Last of Us st- stuff people I've seen that don't like it is the story. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, the writing. I don't think there there's any less value in that type of game though where you're playing a third person yeah. going through something like that. I don't think that's yeah. changed at all. I mean like 3D All-Stars, I mean for all the yelling about Last of Us, it, the game sold like crazy and a lot of people love it. Yep. So um yeah. Try Oh, so the but the two okay, so the two parts of so the the Microsoft thing, the I think that they are on the path it's not going to be the same path they're not right. doing they don't seem i can't think of any of those studios that are really going to be approaching something in the way that these sony third person single player adventures are uh they seem maybe to be, they'll try ninja theory maybe yeah i mean ninja theory definitely with hellblade that's that's one that i think is the closest to it i mean they own elder scrolls <laughs> so, you know that's they're... a very different thing <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is different. very different than what they're talking about sure and and i do think that that is something that uh as we talked about we mentioned somewhere a couple of weeks ago sony doesn't have anything to compete with the gigantic mega rpg um with lots of choice and dialogue so 
yeah, I'm very, very curious um, yeah. how those games are going to play out under Microsoft and uh, whether, you know, Sony does respond in any way. Sony does produce something like that because, you know, they, they're good with single player linear type games. They're good with single player open world type games, but they don't really do anything that does like a lot of this like branching and sandboxy except for maybe days gone but that's still even pretty different than like a bethesda rpg yeah it's very different yeah but if sony can pull off god of war ragnarok in 2021 i don't think sony fatigue is going to like hinder (laughs) that game at all Uh, but then that's the other part of the question right do we feel weird about being in there no i mean it's just oh how does it feel no just how does it feel how does it feel how does it feel Oh. It's. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, it's fun to yeah. see something like that pop up. You know, it's like somebody has you sign a piece of paper, sure, and then eight months later, like, oh, yeah. that's what that was for. You know, frankly, blood happens all the time. You know, now let's so just brush it off. Cabbage lad, with the rousing and continuing success of Ring Fit Adventure, what other use cases do you see for the Ring peripheral? Do you think it'll be reversed? Uh, reserved for a sequel, a different property, or just remain as a one-off. There's got to be a Ring Fit Adventure too, right, Damiani? Nah. Maybe. I mean, nah. not not because of the lack of popularity and success. Well, I thought they were hard to get. I know. I know. It, that's why I was uh, two months ago. I think it was like charted again, in the top ten, and we was it recently was back in like the top twenty again. I think, but for a long stretch there, it was just impossible to find. It was always sold out. So I wonder if it's yeah, more number thirteen. Last month. Yeah, I wonder if it's more of a product of the current situation we're in. It's just like the physical part of it might be harder to manufacture. So if there's a software sequel, sure. Um, but I think they, I think it's still selling well. So I think it's, you know, they're going to keep, I think, I wouldn't be surprised to see a sequel. But at the same time, if this is all they do with it, that also would not surprise me. Yeah. That's a very Nintendo thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a one-off thing and then move on from it and don't, mm-hmm. and don't revisit it. Well, yeah. They did make Wii Fit Plus, so that that is a thing that exists. I think there's some other well, resort random too. games, even like a Rabbids game that used the balance board. Hmm. Um, hmm. I mean, Resorts Two didn't use like an extra peripheral; it was just the Wii Remote. But like Wii Sports, you know, you know, Resort skyrocketed that thing. Oh um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Wii Sports Resort was the two, was the sequel, right? The sequel, yeah. Right. That, that was the that motion plus. The plus though so yeah. that's the thing like they waited yeah, until so they it had was, a whole other thing did have something extra Damiani did, just time travel a little bit did they botch that too I remember it like taking so long to get the, a sequel to Wii Sports out and it's like this is the biggest game of the year you know sales wise this is like well, breaking, this is uh, setting records where we still haven't hit and may not hit for a long time so, no so the, the thing was in most of the world we sports was or maybe i'm wrong but at least in the united states it was bundled with we it wasn't sold independent in, in, mm-hmm. separately so it was tied to we sales so we was selling well for many years i mean once it died off around like once 360 ps3 started to catch up and eventually surpass the Wii, maybe that would have been the time to pull the trigger but they already did they already did we sports resort so i think they did. I I think it was just a that was it. They they wrote it as much as they could, and the sequel just didn't do nearly as well. And that and motion controls kind of got a little bit you know faded from public eye. Like we saw the ultimate end of all that was with 
Microsoft trying to like force Connect down uh, on everybody, and they're like, "We're done. No, we're done with all this." I mean, Connect was a little bit worse than motion controls, but at the same time, I think people consumers just like, "We're we're over this. Let's move on. Next thing. Like, we don't need any more of this." So I don't think they they don't, I don't think they waited too long to pop the the they everything was selling out back then for like for good three three ish years with, with yeah. Wii. The only thing they waited too long on was making HD. Wii U came like at least two years too late. Wii U should have been at least two years before when it came out, and maybe it would have been a different story. Well, also, I just I think yeah, Wii Sports, like the sales on the system and with Wii Sports in particular was, it wasn't an audience that was really going to buy a lot of more games. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's right. Like they bought the Wii. They had Wii Sports. That's all they needed. They were just going to do that, and and you know. Maybe they would get something else if uh, you know the kids came over and asked for a game. It's like, okay, let's go to Walmart and we'll pick up this Rabbids game. It's like exactly, okay. blood. Yeah, there are plenty of other games that filled the shoes in that in that life cycle that that took advantage of that. I think Nintendo didn't need to. It, it became too saturated. I think it was time was up. This is from Happy Gaming, and I want to give a shout out to Happy Gaming because this is a question that Happy Gaming has asked before. I didn't pick it repeatedly. And then I have the special love and respect episode. Takes it out, dusts it off. Nice. <laughs> Luck be a lady. Let's see if we'll get to it. It's a cover- <laughs> it's an interesting conversation, but one there was just other more relevant things. But uh, talks about the business uh, and my wife being an actor. I love talking about this stuff. From Happy Gaming, there are some pretty big differences between the film and game industry, but something that continues to elude me is why video game industry is so secretive during studios' development processes. It's common practice in games for voice actors to not even know what role they're auditioning for, and when hired on, will even uh, then need to sign NDA forms to keep the projects as secretive as possible to the public until the game is officially revealed. This is in stark contrast to the film industry, where it's extremely common to know about what projects years ahead of time, who's gearing up for what roles, seeing pictures on sets and crew and costume early in development, even before trailers are officially released. It's strange to think that even if someone big in the film industry like Mark Hamill, who does a lot of voice work, signs onto a video game project, he may not even know his role yet, and in the eyes of that company, his inclusion wouldn't be enough big wouldn't be big enough buzz to garner attention or be a potential selling point. Many voices aren't even accurately represented on sites like IMDB. The crew in addition becomes a mysterious trove of talent to dig up. Is this right? Are we as consumers showing in some way that we are more interested in how a project scores rather than how it's made by and uh, how it's made and by whom? Should the video game industry be the secretive? I feel like we should have a lot more appreciation for the development process and the resumes of actors and artists alike if they if we were allowed a more trickled amount of information from people here and there that isn't necessarily leaked. Personally, I think that showcasing voice actors audiences voice actors audiences can be excited about is something audiences can be excited about or hearing statements from writers or crew members would give them more acclaim and go a long way to make the industry a more deeply thought about place than just a score at the end of development Whew. so what the heck why don't we hear from these people uh, games we develop? i know one the answer. thing I'm curious what you think. i'll say is i think if they announced all this stuff it could be a very 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 long time until the game actually came out We've seen this happen before where games get announced way too early and it takes forever. Like Final Fantasy VII Remake got announced 2015. It came out 2020. A lot of people were pissed that it took that long. I don't know if gamers want to wait that long if they know about something coming. Exactly. It's like the exception rather than the norm in the film industry. Like development hell. Like films that like take forever to make and stuff that is the more the rarity Whereas like when when like Marvel unveils like their phase whatever plans, they give dates. They have like dates and stuff years in advance because 
they know it's not a matter of uh, I think there's more of a technical technical things that can go wrong with game development that you can't just say no matter what we're shipping something out you can have an incomplete game you can have an incomplete game that will not work you can have an incomplete movie and do some editing and this is a movie where you still can watch and enjoy it it will play on a projector and work but it's like it might be a shit movie but you know some marketing and hype dollars behind it maybe it makes its money back or a game it's like this you can't even play this like it's broken so i think it's just there is a little bit apples to oranges, I think, when it comes to how you make each of these products. But I, I, I do agree with Brad. The problem, long-standing problem with the game industry is if you announce things and they take forever to come out, it, it's now developers are scared of that. They, they know that's a bad thing. And it's I don't think, it, not trying to say one, it, making a movie is easy. I think making a movie overall is probably less dependent on I think it's easier to get it out the door so someone can watch it whether it's good or bad versus a, like a game. And mm-hmm. so there's some mitigating factors that will prevent a game from... I could say, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy Remake Part 2, they could have announced it the day after. Hey, it's coming out on April 21st, 2022. Expect it then. It's like so much shit could go wrong between... Like It's more likely something can go wrong with a game than with a movie, I feel like. So mm-hmm. like it's irresponsible. And I think that's why. But it's not the whole thing. I don't want to take. I'll like see what you guys think, but I also think part of it is the hype cycle. Game gaming relies so much on marketing and the hype cycle. I think it is just all about that. And and while that exists in the the motion picture industry, oh man, there's no industry like the game industry when it comes to like hype and hyping stuff up and like reaction stuff like that. We know the best. You know, we know very well about this. And you know, this is just. I mean, it's just one of the biggest differences, I think, between them. So keeping stuff secretive is very important to them so that they can have very calculated reactions to things because yeah. the, even the existence of a game is, like, a big deal. Just, like, it, that's the surprise is this game exists. Where in movies, it's like, oh, we, we're expecting this to exist. It's not, Oh, that's cool. It's coming. That's a big deal. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think Damiani's actually said a lot of things that are right. Like, you know, a, a game has to be built; it has to work. You know, and and so and 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 I think too that because you know, there's also like this question of like, well, it, what, is it fun? <laughs> you know, you know, we, we we've iterated on all these ideas, but are they fun? Do they do they work? And then you get into testing, and it's like, yeah, this isn't fun. We've got to destroy this. <laughs> and you burn know, it in a fire start do something else you know yeah. it's like restart projects you know like you know like again you look at like rocksteady and, and like people are like why is it taking them so long to make a game like, because there were probably a few other games that didn't get this far <laughs> um and so yeah i i think that's just far more the norm to where like people can put a lot of time and a lot of money into something and it's just not coming together and it's got to go um the other thing though and i think is more maybe more historically relevant than current relevance but again you go back to wii sports that thing had to be a secret like nintendo had to make that thing in secret because once people saw Mm. you know the magic of what the crap nintendo was working on that was entirely outside of what anybody else was thinking then it's like, you know, people would be rushing to catch up and to beat them to market. You know, just kind of like, well, you know, again, like you see the Disney, the Disney puts out a movie and then some guy's got like, you know, the crappy version of it sitting in the grocery yeah, store out. You know? 
and Nintendo knew they had to hit, they had to have the time to get it all right and put it out there. And, you know, granted, that isn't a game that would have any kind of voice acting or anything really to, to speak of. But I think that those same kind of philosophies carry over into all of game development tours. Like, we've got to hold on to the crazy things that we're making because if we take too long, somebody else will take our ideas and put it out there before we do. Brad, what's the last time you got excited about someone being cast in a video game? Someone being cast in a game? Yeah, finding out an actor was in a game. You're like, oh, sweet. Mm, it's, not a I don't dig, know. it's not a dig at actors. I'm just curious. No, no, no. I just don't know, really. Uh, he, here, here's the main thing, just from a, um, from an industry perspective, directly comparing games uh, you know, it's a voice actors they bring in very, very late <laughs> into a game's development. So you can imagine like working on something for that long and then finally like at the end of a game's, you know, dev cycle being like, oh, that's what that weirdo sounds like. Uh, to me, comparing uh, voice actors to the film industry, I would compare them more to special effects and like post-production stuff. Mm. Because like Blood was saying, like you don't need voice acting for your video game. There's lots of games don't have voice acting you don't need special effects for your movie either you know and so there's a lot of stuff for special effects people be like i'm not you know special effects i think gets the same non-recognition that voice actors like there are some things like a lord of the rings or something you know weta or like companies that you know blur you know doing trailers and like you know these names you get excited for stuff that they work on but there's all sorts of other things you know it's 20 30 you know 40 companies different companies will work on like a big film and get like you know shitty pay you know not a lot of uh um, job security um and it's just kind of like the same thing with voice acting where it's just kind of like you know acting gets the forefront in film because they're the ones really boots on the ground mm -hmm. right when a project starts and that's that, that's why devs kind of get blown up in the popularity cycle in gaming because they're the ones that exactly. are, are, have the most to talk about that uh, you know are, are really helming a project and um and, and I, I could see it catching up. I, I think this is still kind of a product of the indus how the industry worked beforehand, where, like, it really took upon a lot of devs for me to be like, no, I want to be in the booth. <laughs> you know, like, I worked on the game. I want to talk to the actor. Where, like, a lot of times they don't – doesn't happen. I remember Max von Sydow. I talked to the guy who directed Skyrim. Mm. Who's buddy of mine, and directed the, just directed the voice acting specifically, and uh, he's like, I was like, oh, you got to work with Max von Sydow, and he's like, no, he worked with the developers because developers were like, hey, hey Max von Sydow, and they were like, we we really want this opportunity to to work with him, and so he's like, yeah, Sydow worked with a whole different team, so you have Sydow talking to you and other characters, and it's like he w he was in a room with a whole different group of people, um, and so there's weird barriers between those people working together and weird delays when it comes to stuff in games, but hopefully it's catching up. Yeah. Felt like Avengers was a different thing. They definitely were like, all of them on a couch. Right. Like, Hello. Yeah. You know? Death <laughs> Stranding was another one. Like, yeah. that was... Oh, of course. All the Kojima like, games. Yeah, yeah he... Kojima does that. One thing I want to add, I, I, from my best understanding is, well, I agree. It's definitely getting better. For games that are more story-driven, that have a, a, use, a lot of use of voice work in them, they're getting better at uh, making it clear, like the the the, the billing, who who is a part of this, uh, not just in the credits, but also like the marketing materials. But from my understanding, from like even like the 360 PS3 Wii generation and earlier, some the, I, I understand. Like there used to be a lot of JRPGs where people were like, who did that voice? We got a guess by. Oh, do you remember that voice? Can you tell who is that? Because yeah, from my understanding, is that 
it was something to do with unions and not necessarily like doing maybe under the table stuff because some of those mm-hmm. actors were involved in other industries mm-hmm. and then game and video game companies wanted to use them. And they're like, well, we don't have the budget for that, but if you're willing to do it and like not have your name on it or, or, or something like that is mm-hmm. explained to me one time is that it's just, it was how it was back then. But obviously Things have changed. There's been people have been like, "That's no, give them the credit that credit is due. Pay them, you know, fair wages and stuff like that for the work that they did, and give them the recognition they deserve." Totally random, completely off topic. Vo win Animaniacs back on Hulu. All five Pinky and the Brain and oh, the three really? Animaniacs cool. are original voice actors. Oh, nice. Kicking ass. Sounds like they didn't skip a beat, man. They all sound Jones, fantastic. I'm I'm excited for that. Someone told me the reason they're not excited for that is because besides those characters. None of the other Warner characters are in it, like from the original show. And, and they're I think worried it's only that like show... eight ep- It's like eight or thirteen episodes or something. It's not. It's not a huge order, but you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like excited, but they were like, "No, how can you carry a show without all those characters? People are gonna find really fast. It's gonna get like repetitive." I'm like, "Really?" I was like, "I don't no, know. I think... It hasn't even come out yet. What are you talking about?" I'm excited. <laughs> Mandalorian's yeah. back. A lot of fun. Stuff it looks past my eye test. I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Nick Savak, hello allies. I've got a game for you all that I like to call Dollar Duel. The objective is simple. Of the two games listed, which one commands the higher price? For these matchups, I'm using okay. PriceCharting.com. A nice plug. PriceCharting.com, a website that acts as an aggregate to assign prices for video games on the second-hand market. All of the game's prices will be based on the CIB, complete in-box listings. The monetary values are in U.S. dollars and are based off the North American versions of these titles. Love and respect, Nick. Round one, Final Fantasy VII versus Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. Crisis Core is probably Crisis more. Core. Crisis Core wins, I believe. Oh, no, Crisis Core loses. 27-47, Final Fantasy VII. Crisis Core is only 2306. dollars 63 dollars I didn't think it was expensive. Even the international version of Final Fantasy VII was really cheap, like yeah. two or three years ago, to like yeah. import. I was like, I thought that was going to be expensive. And, but, hmm. uh, yeah, that PSP would be a rare one. And, they made a uh, lot of copies, and you and we we went through that the other, you know, recently where we were trying to we were, we were playing. You played Damian, I think, Crisis Core, right? And it was like I played a little bit of it, yeah. That? Round two: The Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess on the GameCube versus The Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo sixty four. That's uh, hard. I think I it's Twilight Princess on GameCube, right? So Twilight Princess on GameCube is a much rarer yeah. game than Ocarina of Time. I don't fall. I if you'd asked me this ten years ago, I, I could tell you instantly. But like, all I know is that like apparently older games are getting way more expensive lately. Hmm. So I would yeah. uh, ten years ago I'd tell you Twilight Princess on GameCube easily. But, but today not, you'll tell me. I would say N sixty four Ocarina of Time is probably especially if it's. It, did they say which in version? Box? If it's N64, no, like, yeah, is it the, the original is it the gold that or is it yeah. complete in box? Just the North American versions, just the regular. Not very helpful, but okay. Yeah, I mean, even the, I, I would say Ocarina of Time is more expensive now. Maybe it is eighty-seven dollars and twenty-seven cents versus Ooh. Twilight Princess at eighty-three. Still, you know, oh, yeah, that's wow, the price still so high. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I, I I've been hearing uh, that like a lot of the the market has been shifting again to stuff like this, like the iconic games. Mm-hmm. You know, even though that they may have been more plentiful, people just like they just want their their Super Mario Brothers, you know, or whatever, rather than you know this ultra rare thing that's like in a prototype cartridge and there's only like three of them that exist. That used to be where the market was, and now there's there's just more collectors that want the the more I, I, identifiable games. thing. Yeah. 
Crackdown versus Crackdown 3. Oh, jeez. Crackdown 3. Yeah, I'll say Crackdown 3, A physical 3, I copy guess. of Crackdown 3, maybe? Yeah. Crackdown. Crackdown 3. Ooh, wrong blood. $9.73. Uh, Nine bucks? It's so low. Get. <laughs> it's so low. The original Crackdown you can get for a steal $5.45 for the original Crackdown. Wow. I would buy the original. I mean, you know, I'd, love, <laughs> I'd love to replay the original Crackdown. Round four, Silent Hill versus Resident Evil 3 Nemesis on the Dreamcast. Oh, shit. Oh, Silent Hill shit. PS1 versus Nemesis Dreamcast. Oh, Nemesis Dreamcast. Yeah, I was going to say Dreamcast probably. I'll go Dreamcast. Nay, Silent Hill on the PS1 oh, is almost 100 bucks, $99.68. Wow. Oh, I thought two was the rare one. Okay. RE3 is $72.47. That's way, more, games, way yeah. more money I thought either of those would be. Holy shit. And finally, Fallout 76 on PlayStation 4 or E.T. the Extraterrestrial on the Atari 2600. Hmm. Uh, what is more expensive? That's a funny one. Fallout, Fallout 76? Mm-hmm. Fallout? Yeah. On the PlayStation yeah. 4. Yeah. Fallout. No, no, no. no. Fallout. Yeah. E.T. Yeah. $32.75. Fallout is eight ninety seven. I was going to say that because there's no copies of E.T. I was just going to say it doesn't exist, so it's a troll question. Zero. Nick adds, P.S. I actually enjoyed Fallout 76, but I couldn't resist. Thank you. That's okay. Oh, I wanted Fallout to win so badly. I played E.T. back in the day. Kamini342. I'm a big advocate of the idea that the inclusion of co-op can make even bad games great. 2020 seemed to be a bit lacking in the co-op department. Co-op-centric games like Avengers and Borderlands 3. Wouldn't know it around here. uh, (laughs) Around what? The... The Bloodworth Online household or Easy Allies or, or no the Easy Allies. <laughs> There's any any co-op co-op opportunity. Oh, we uh, cherish for sure. Taking advantage of yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, lots of during the, our patron party, lots of co-op action happening. My most enjoyable co-op experiences this year have oh sorry, uh, co-op centric games like Avengers and Borderlands Three didn't seem to have much of an impact on Arrival. Uh, Avengers definitely stumbled. Borderlands Three. Kicked its usual ass, right, Blood? I mean, Borderlands 3 is doing great. Well, financially, about putting yeah. out more skill they both trees did and stuff. And really yeah. well. Oh, what we were just saying, yeah, Avengers. I mean, it's. They uh, got that next gen lockdown. Like, yeah, I think that's doing fine. My yeah. most enjoyable co op experiences this year have been with older games, such as Guacamelee 2, Diablo 3, and Monster Hunter World. What have been some standout co op releases of 2020 for each of you? Streets of Rage 4. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What yes. was the puzzle game that Huber and uh, Ian played that was fun to watch? Oh, I don't remember what was that like was called. Super puzzle. Shoot. All they did was puzzles, man. It was, and the puzzles took a oh, long time. Each game. one took like 20 minutes I don't minutes even know if that came out this year. Oh, it was just like early access? No, I mean, it might have been like an, an older, older game. Older yeah. game oh. from a couple of years back. Um, but yeah. It, I'm uh, not Battle Toads, anything probably, off right? the top of my head. Battletoads, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I can't think off the top of my head. But yeah, Battletoads is the one I would, I would pull off the top of my head either. Um, or I, I wouldn't necessarily go with that route for picking it. What was um, the Savage Planet? Was that this year? Sorry, it's yeah, Savage Planet. So I can't even remember. Huber and I played through that full like co-op. That game would probably be like, eh, by yourself. Co-op totally I mean, we just talked about work. the Ghost of Tsushima stuff. That yeah. definitely counts. Hubert, what did Hubert and I play this year? But that was like this year that came out, though. And just stuff like uh, Dead by Daylight and Dead by know, Daylight's been uh, out for years, for right? Sure. But yeah. th- th- that stuff is still, you know, still going strong. Sea of Thieves, we've enjoyed a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
from Brandon Ray. Hey there, allies. I recently had a discussion with a friend about our differences in play style, specifically the fact that I typically one game at a play game play one game at a time to completion while my friend prefers to switch between a few games at the same time it seems mm. like the new quick resume next gen feature is really catering to my friend's play style whereas that feature is less appealing to me based on my habits do you anticipate using quick resume often how many games do you typically play at the same time love respect b ray hmm max i'll play is like two at a time usually all right ideally I usually like to play one period and just finish it, but sometimes you know you gotta play a couple. Yeah, I I tend like in terms of like what I prefer to do, I prefer to play through a game and then move on to the next one. But um, yeah, I, I just find myself having to hop around a bit just for covering <laughs> games. You know, like start five games and like I'm gonna finish all of these and then I don't. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I get, and then I guess there are things that, you know, like you're saying, like hopping into something like Avengers or Fall Guys or Animal Crossing. That's like those things are always just going to sort of be there, you know. Even like Smash Brothers, like oh, new character, cool, pick it up. Yeah. Um, they don't always really benefit from something like Quick Resume, but it is a nice thing. It's going to be a nice thing to like cut down on those loading times. Like mm -hmm. even if I played this game five months ago, if it still has my save state or whatever, then like, boop, okay. I gotta figure out what I was doing, but it, I'm right there. Yeah, I generally play one game at a time. I mean, on my Switch Lite, I'll have a bunch of games, and like I'll sometimes I'll toggle between them, but it's not generally newer games on that. Just the I'll bounce between whatever's on my what's still downloaded on there just to kill some time. I love to dabble. I'm dabbling all the time. You're dabbling for sure. Ooh, Ooh. Dabbling. I love it checking something out i'm i'm never you know i'm always two clicks away from a gta online sesh <laughs> let's do it let's jump, do a race really quickly what level am i oh right okay bye gta online see you next year um yeah the holidays fun time to jump into mm -hmm. that game. and of mobile i play all the time so uh i love to dabble feel spoiled Garrett Zamora, love respect. Hey, allies, what is the weirdest or most elaborate thing you've done to create or preserve your own headcanon in a game? For example, I'm very proud of this. Great job, Garrett. I was a day one player of World of Warcraft back in the day, and even though I am a diehard Final Fantasy XIV player now, I'll still go back to WoW to check out new expansions from time to time when there's a lull in waiting for, new patched in, for a new patch in Final Fantasy XIV. My first ever character was an orc warrior, and every time I go back to play through new content each expansion, I will update the look of my character so that he looks older and more war-torn. Longer hair, beard, scars. He used to have black hair, mm. but now his hair is completely white. Those kind of things. There may even be a day where I retire him for good and make a new warrior that I would consider to be something like his son or someone who looked up to him. And in Final Fantasy XIV, when the first expansion came out, they introduced a new playable race, which I was very much looking forward to switching to. After I did, in order to preserve my headcanon of my character having gone through all the events up till that point, there's a feature in the game where you can go to an in-room and watch all the major cutscenes from quest events that you have cleared. And I went back and rewatched all of them with my new character oh my just so that it all stayed consistent in my head. I even went as far as changing my gear as I progressed through the cutscenes, starting with low-level gear equipped up to having really cool-looking gear at later parts of the story. Wow. Have any of you guys done really weird things like this just uh, for no one else's benefit but your own? Or am I alone on this one? Thanks for keeping us smiling through the year that never ends. Love, respect, Garrett. Uh... The only thing I can kind of recall recently is, like, Shinra building Buster Sword, you know? Where mm. I was like, I have to have this here kind of thing. But that's yeah. about it. Um, I think for me, kind of them talking about uh, 
gear and stuff it reminded me of when i played i didn't do this on the dlc but when i played the the main game for the outer worlds is uh i had everybody had civvies so like when we were in town like take off the armor you put on the civvy clothes um and and it was also a part of that was also like just managing inventory too to where if you're on the ship you don't need armor dude i don't need armor for every one of you guys where you you just wear her armor when you go out and wear your civvies any other time so um so yeah so i think that's maybe you know (laughs) the most i kind of did uh uh that i can think of in the recent days uh, uh yeah the i mean just to copy what they said what i don't do it like they do in 14 but at the very least every expansion i'll update my main character's jobs look at the very least uh at some point through i mean i'll uh whatever gear i get through the progression of the story i'll equip but at the end like when i'm in like the end game essentially and going to the patch content i'll fixate on a a single look that i'll use and then I might keep it for a few of the patches. Like I maybe change one more time during an expansion, but I, I like to like update the look of my character and just you know to change it because they offer like so many good like glamour options, you know, like casual clothing and stuff like that, and then like battle gear that looks cool as well. I went through some silly men- mental gymnastics to try to headcanon organize the way that I was leveling up my Avengers. Okay. Um, and again, this is deep and stupid, but that it seems to be the theme of this question. Yes. Uh, because I was like, I'm really into Cap. And like, judging by the story, uh, you know, Cap makes a bit of a comeback in the story. And so I was like, okay, Cap's going to be really focused, man. He's going to hit the gym. You know, if he's like, if I've been gone for a while, you know, I really want to focus on getting back in, in, in shape. So it's like, you know, my, my two characters I played mostly as Iron Man and Cap. I'm like, makes sense that they would have a power spike. I don't know why Thor wouldn't have a... Thor should start that game at power level 150 as far as I'm concerned. He's like, I'm Thor. I've just went, you know, I was just hanging out on a park bench the last couple of years. Where have all of you been? Um, but two characters I haven't played as I've completely ignored are Hulk and uh, uh, Kamala. And, uh, sorry, Kamala. And uh, I figured Kamala's a newbie. It's like, hey, man, well, you, officially you're an Avenger, but you're not in the group yet. So if I'm going to go on a four-person squad, that's going to be Black Widow, Cap, Iron Man, uh, and Thor the original OG Avengers and Hulk specifically. I get the vibe. Hulk doesn't want to go if he doesn't have to, you know, banners that type. He's like, <laughs> I'd rather stay on the helicarrier. You see him in his lab. He's so happy. If you're back in the hub, you see, it just really seems like what he wants to do. It's fun to have the difference, but he's the only character. If you're walking around the helicarrier, you're Bruce, you know, it's not like the Hulk, like going through doorways and stuff. So it's just funny that he's like, I just put on this shirt. Do I really, I got to rip it now to go to just do a daily. Really? So, that's where I settled on those four characters. But again, this is the headcan. This is what, you know, a lot of repetition in leveling up those characters. So as I'm doing these missions for the umpteenth time, I'm like, what is the stupid headcanon behind <laughs> why I'm picking these four characters in relation to the story that they have written? Cesar Villa's got a game for us. Anomaly. A deviation from the common rule, type, arrangement, or form. Hello, allies. Here's a game I hope you'll enjoy. I call it Find the Anomaly. GT was known for being tougher reviewers than most outlets. Yeah. Apparently we've lost that, I guess, maybe in Easy Allies. I'm really I'm more tough on stuff than I used to be. Now that IGN owns all that content, I thought it would be fun to compare some review scores between both companies. Most of the okay. time, GT scores were lower, but anomalies were found. Your task is to spot the anomaly. 
the game that GT scored higher than IGN mm. in the following <laughs> sense of games. Hope you enjoy it, Caesar. So what mm, game yeah. out of these four in each of these stacks did we like more than IGN did? Uh, here's Mario's Domains, Super Mario 3D Land, Super Mario 3D World, Super Mario Galaxy, and Galaxy 2. Which one did we so like we, more? Wait, Which one the, did we like more than IGN that we scored higher? 3D Land? All of those we scored lower other than one. No. Oh. Galaxy 2. I need dummy. I and I know who reviewed all of those, so I'm trying to think. Don't think too hard. Maybe we gave... Did you already say no to one of them or yet, or no? I'll say no to both. I'll say no to World and... You said World, right? I said 3D Land. You said oh, 3D Land, land sorry. Uh, no to 3D Land. Guessed. Oh, okay. You just gave it away. Yeah. No. Uh, Galaxy 1 by 0.1. Hmm. IGN gave that a 9.7. Oh. We gave that a 9.8. Oh, fine. IGN GT gave 10. That IGN That's not gave, the big yeah. of a deal. The only 10 on that list is IGN gave Galaxy 2 a 10. I really liked that. Hell yeah. Facing Death on Rails. Uh, Resident Evil, The Umbrella Chronicles, The House of the Dead, Overkill, Dead Space Extraction, and Resident Evil, The Dark Side Chronicles. Dark Side and Umbrella Chronicles. Three out of those four. Nice. (laughs) Dark Side and Umbrella were in the same series, I believe. Those were those light gun shooters. Yeah, Yeah, they were. Yeah. Which one did we like more? So were the Resident Evil, Dead Space, and what was the fourth one? I know the two Resident Evil. Overkill. Overkill, yeah. Did we give we, House we of the Dead Dark Overkill Cyborg. higher? Dark Side Chronicle? I like that too. House of the Dead Overkill. Umbrella Chronicles. We dug oh. so much. 8.3 from us, 7.9 from my gen. Squares DS Square Off. Final Fantasy 3. The World Ends With You. Final Fantasy The Four Heroes of Light or Bravely Default. Which one did we What like? did you give The World Ends With You, Blood? Uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head. It was in the eight, or maybe a nine at the most. I'm going to say World Ends Final Fantasy three was before no. my time there, so I don't know who did that. Uh, Heroes, the weird Four Heroes Warriors. Game I feel like Four Light. Warriors of Light might be the one because I, be I, I think that was. I don't know. that was. I think that was a freelance review, from what I remember. Hmm. I, I I think I actually yeah. know who reviewed it. Going with that, but I might be wrong. Bravely default. IGN gave Final Fantasy 3 a 7.8. We gave it an 8.2. I've heard you say a lot of negative things about that, Tommy. I'm surprised. Um, I think Hubert really digs that version. Here's Mario's Diversions. Mario Kart 8, Mario Party 10, Mario Golf World Tour, or Mario Super Sluggers. Which one did we like more? Hmm. Hmm. Kart uh, 8, Party again? 10. I reviewed Mario Kart 8. Golf or I don't know what baseball, I basically. Party? Uh, golf World Tour. 8.5 oh. to IGN's 7. Golf Whoa. World Tour. Whoa. Sharp that difference. That's like 3DS, huh? Yeah. Mario Kart 8 got an 8.6 from GT. Who reviewed that, that one, Damiani? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a cel-shaded extravaganza. We have Mad World, No More Heroes, Grand Theft Auto Chinatown Wars, and Zack and Wiki Quest for Barbarossa's Treasure. What did we like, uh, like more out of all of those? Oh, shit. Man. I don't think we gave China... I know we love GTA, but I feel like IGN probably would have given Chinatown Wars like a perfect or something. No, 9.5. Okay. I know they would have given it What did high. we give it, though? Uh, 
I would, I would go with. I know we gave Mad World like an eight something, right? Yeah, I'll go with Mad yeah. World. Mad World. I don't know, Let's but I, Mad I, World. I feel like Ijin might have been harsher on that. I don't know. They were not harsh on that. They gave that a nine to our eight point five, but we liked oh. No More Heroes a little bit more. Eight point two to their seven point eight. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. No more heroes. Uh, a tie is not optional. All but one had tied scores. Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective, Okami Den, Boom Blocks Bash Party, and Picross 3D. Well, I reviewed oh, Okami man. Den and I give it an 8. I still something. need to play Okami Den. All of these were 8.5s, except for yeah. one. <laughs> Picross 3D. We gave an 8.7. Ah. Back nice. in the days when we could do something like that. Those that was all important point two additions that needed to happen. Blood knew what that point two meant. You might not know it now. <laughs> Hyrule I love the points. Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, Phantom Hourglass, and Spirit Tracks. Which one did Phantom we like Hourglass. more? So which game did we give? Which game did we like more? Oh, wait, no, Spirit Tracks. Like, we right. liked more, so it's definitely going to be tracks, Spirit right? Tracks because of that story, probably. Mm-hmm. As I, had to, I, I don't think that game got higher than a nine point something from IGN. It did, 9.3 from IGN. Then we give it a nine. Wow. That's perfect. Okay. What were the other ones? Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, and Phantom Hourglass. Uh, probably, probably Skyward Sword then? No, they gave that a ten, didn't they? I think they no. gave it a ten. No. I think oh, Skyward Sword, a... they gave a ten. Yes, they yeah. did. Yeah. IGN er, did, but we didn't give it a ten. No. We did not. No. We gave no, it a nine. Which one, which IGN. One we also, which one we did higher? Gosh, I'm getting it backwards now. I'm sorry. IGN uh, gave Twilight Princess a 9.5, but we bested it with our 9.7. Who reviewed that? Good Twilight job. Princess. That was 2005, so six. That would have so been most six. likely Shane. Yeah. That was 2006. Two more. Before my time. Here's Awada's Pink Legacy. Kirby Mass Attack, Kirby Squeak Squad, Kirby Return to Dreamland, or Kirby's Epic Yarn? Which one of these did we like Kirby's more? Kirby's Epic Yarn. Epic Yarn. Yeah. Sure. We gave it an 8.4. IGN bested that. IGN went higher. 9.0. Jeez. Or, or that was higher than IGN, you think? IGN went lower than that? Jeez. And 8.4? They did not. 9 from IGN. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, okay. But the lowest of those four games. I feel like Squeak Squad Mass, Effect, Mass Attack. I don't even remember us What's reviewing. Squeak? I don't even know what those That's... games are. Return to Dreamland, they gave a 7.5, the lowest of all of these scores, where we thought it was all right. We gave it an 8.3. We dug that. Okay. That's better than all right. Mm-hmm. I said tie not optional. Uh, again, all of these were tied. All these were 9.0s except for one. Uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns, Resident Evil 5, Super Scribble Knots, and Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Which one did we dig? Who broke the streak and in what direction? Of a 9.0. Captain Toad. Which of these games from which outlet did not? I said Captain Toad, right? IGN didn't like that Captain Toad for some reason. 8.2. Yeah. 8.2. They don't get it. They don't. Let, that's they don't the last one on the list. Let's end on that note right there. They don't get it. They don't get it. At least with <laughs> reviews of games that came out. Was Treasure Tracker six years ago? Probably. Something like that. Who knows? Queuing up a correction. We're not doing corrections on this bonus episode. Nope. This love respect nope. episode. Yeah. Ha-ha. <laughs> there. Keep <laughs> your corrections into that other <laughs> episode. And speaking of, just to let you know, again, crazy what's going on. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me for this bonus love and respect episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everybody for mentioning stuff. Again, even people submitting for this hour-long episode, there were still a couple questions I didn't get to. So thanks, everybody, that supports us at that tier. Thank you for everybody that's been supporting us this week through the patron party. 
Get if you've been listening to this and you were like, weird podcast this week, you get that Easy Allies podcast this Sunday. You can get it early if you're a $5 patron or above at patreon.com slash easy allies. But if you are not, just wait till this Sunday. You'll get a brand new podcast episode featuring all of these jokers over here. But here's a little <laughs> bonus for you because it is the patron party week. Thank you to our patrons and not patrons. Everybody that's been hanging out watching our content. This is all for you because you help make this happen. And thank you, gentlemen. Um, we can, yeah, I guess we can just all, we can just say goodbye. How about that? Patron party. We'll say patron party. Patron party on three. Okay, ready? One, two, three, and then patron party. Okay. One, two, three. Patron, patron party! You! Duke Nukem, right? Forever? <laughs> yeah. Who else would do that? <laughs>